the importance of relationship with these medicines should be highlighted. You know, there is so much um, research going on at the moment around, you know, attachment theory and the importance of secure attachments in our, um, you know, it's sort of through our development and, um, and even, you know, through our adult years as well. And what secure attachments give us as social beings. They help us to regulate. They help us to attune. They help us feel safe and secure. And so when I think about, you know, for example, Rachel Harris's work around the relationship that people develop with ayahuasca, I think about that and then I think about secure attachment with this medicine that people have, this sense of safety to meet with this very potent, very powerful being and to have, you know, the sense of I am, I'm okay here because, you know, this, this being has got me. Hello and welcome to Sacred Herbalism, the full moon segment of the Elder Tree podcast, where we explore how plants and fungi can support us to enter into a sacred relationship with life and the living world. I'm your host, Stephanie Hazel, herbalist, anthropologist, and a deep lover of this wild world. Let's walk into the moonlit forest together, into a world of magic mysticism, psychedelic teachers, and, of course, the plants themselves. Are you ready? Have you ever considered psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy to support your personal healing journey? Or maybe you've had a psychedelic journey with mushrooms, LSD, or ayahuasca that's been transformative for you personally and supported the healing of trauma or perhaps a new worldview. While MDMA-assisted psychotherapy as a treatment for PTSD or resistant depression and psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy for OCD, anxiety disorders and end-of-life anxiety is really gaining traction in the world of psychology, psychiatry and medical research. I'm sure you've come across this in your own experimentation and reading. It's becoming such a big topic and it's quite controversial. For those of us on the fringes of healing and plant use, we might have mixed feelings about this growing popularity. I know I do. On the one hand, it's exciting to think that more people might benefit from these powerful medicines. I really hope they do. And on the other hand, there's something a little sad about magic mushrooms entering a clinical and sterile environment and leaving the world of long walks in the bush where you can feel your ego dissolve into oneness with the forest around you. I know that traditionally, nearly every human culture has used psychedelic substances in ritual and shamanic practices to help us reconnect to the living world and reconnect to what's sacred, to have a direct experience of the sacred or the gods or the numinous that helps us keep our humanness in check. And I do wonder what happens when we take these powerful substances outside of the context of ritual, of sacredness, and of group experience. Well, in this interview, I speak to a transpersonal psychotherapist who's been facilitating MDMA and psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy for over a year now, underground. And she's chosen to remain anonymous to be able to share more freely. I really enjoy this interview. We get to dig really deeply into how she facilitates the work, what changes happen for her clients, and what she thinks is really important to remember as we move forward culturally with this type of therapeutic work. Her background is in drug and alcohol counseling for over 10 years, and she then studied transpersonal psychotherapy. On a personal level, ayahuasca and plant medicines have been a major part of her own flourishing and overcoming the scars of her childhood. And these plans have supported her to forge a powerful connection to the sacred, which really informs her work with clients. So she's facilitating these assisted psychotherapy spaces, drawing on this depth of sacredness, of ritual, of prayer and sacred plant medicines. Such a pleasure to have you, so titillating to be able to have these conversations on air in an anonymous way and I really appreciate your uh, bravery and your openness in agreeing to come and do this conversation with me. Mm, thanks so much, it's such an honour and a pleasure to be here mm. and uh, yeah, to have the opportunity to be able to share these ways which I feel very passionate about. 
Mm, thank you so much. So mm. um, tell me a little bit about your work at the moment, the work we'll be talking about today. So, um, sure. So I recently, so yeah, I've been doing, um, like, as you said, I've been working with MDMA and psilocybin as um, assisted tools to accompany my therapeutic practice. Um, I've been working in private practice as a therapist for about five or six years. And um, yeah, a couple of years ago, I met a beautiful mentor who um, very generously shared this sort of work design with me that has allowed me to incorporate the use of medicines into the therapeutic, my therapeutic practice. So this is someone who'd been working with these medicines uh, in therapy for quite a while, is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, I mean, they actually um, were connecting with me as a point of um, referral for integration work for mm-hmm. their for their work for their clients um, because that is something that I have been doing in my practice that I'm really passionate about, which is the integration of, um, you know, work with, other psychedelic medicines. Yeah, you had a lot with integration of ayahuasca journeys and other psychedelics, is that right? Absolutely, yeah, a lot of work. Um, you know, I've been working in the, um, you know, ayahuasca spaces for about a decade, about 10 years, and, um, you know, could really see the gap in the support for people who had been working, you know, particularly with that medicine, um, you know, so people who are going back into the community, back into their lives, um, and lacking and needing um, the support to discuss and integrate um, what you know their insights and uh, learning had been with uh, you know through working with that with that particular medicine. Um, but you know over the years, yeah, I've worked with people who are integrating all sorts of different um, mm-hmm. you know psychedelic. Medicine. So integration is something that people say a lot. We use yes. the word a lot. It's a real buzzword. And yes. I think there's not always a lot of clarity around what that means. So when you talk about integration, what are you actually talking about? It's such a great question. And it's very tricky with these buzzwords. I'm so aware when I'm using them. And yet at the same time, there's really not another word that describes it so well. So um, for me, what I mean by integration is, you know, is sort of gleaning the gems or gleaning the insights or the, you know, the um, the learnings that people have received, you know, in the context of the plant medicine work. Um, so bringing those insights into, in some way, bringing them into form, into an embodied um, experience in their life. I often talk about, you know, how do we weave these insights into your walk, into your life, into your journey mm-hmm. so that they are kept alive, um, you know, and, and in some way it's sort of maintaining the aliveness of that particular journey, which mm-hmm. I feel really passionate about. And, you know, this can be done in many ways. I mean, particularly talk therapy obviously is is very helpful that, you know, it, it does allow this sort of bringing into form through the spoken word through the sharing um you know there's also other ways like you know working with art therapy um you know working with ritual um working with affirmation working you know there's there's a number of ways that that can be happened but ultimately it's sort of this weaving in um and and adding there's something you know i think the word integration means the um, you know, uh, I think it's the, the like culmination of many parts and this sort of bringing into into wholeness. So yeah, it, it, like, like integer means one. So integer. Mm-hmm. So then integrate means to make one. So we have yeah. a sense there of um, making our, everything in, like into one whole. So bringing every all the parts in. For example, That's so when we integrate on a, just an etymological level, when we talk about integrating an experience, mm-hmm. it's making that experience a continual part of who we are, rather than something that sits separate as a memory of something that happened once. Absolutely. And I love what you're saying about bringing into form because I think that you know. I've spoken before about my personal experiences with ayahuasca and other psychedelic plants in different interviews and you can have such powerful experiences that are so outside the context or the framework that 
we're used to working in, but it can be hard to make sense of them in a way that does continue to touch our life, you know, it becomes this something that made sense and was beautiful then, but then six months later, it's hard to relate to anymore. That's right. Yeah, they become a little bit like a dream. And so it's sort of like, you know, how do we sort of catch the the smoke, you know? How do we catch the smoke of that dream and then in some way, you know, make it manifest so that we can look at it objectively and continue learning from it? You know, in, I, I love the sort of um, comparison to dream work, the, you know, integration of the use of, of medicines to dream work. It's how do we kind of articulate it, this sort of, formless experience this this experience that sort of lies in the imaginal world and uh and you know write it out you know and keep learning from it how do we keep learning from it mm. Mm. beautiful um i <clears throat> name joshua shry from the emerald yes. podcast who i think most listeners here would have and experience of and if not go and look it up immediately mm-hmm. he has a beautiful episode where he talks about mapping the sacred and that, you know, in most traditional cultures where psychedelics are part of the sacred or ritual experience, there is a very, um, there's a complete kind of framework or story that helps you to like locate your personal experience inside a narrative Mm. or a mythological landscape that helps you make sense of it and integrate it. I love that. In the West where we have, uh, you know, I definitely believe we used to have that mythological landscape that helped us to integrate. As a European person, it's thought to be primarily psilocybin mushroom experiences through our ancestors or ergot, which is a grain ferment LSD. Um, But we've lost that mythological landscape. And so then there's nowhere to kind of pin these nebulous experiences on that helps us to hold on to them and make sense of them in our waking life Mm, absolutely I haven't listened to that episode I'm gonna have to check it out but I love that and it makes me think about um well two things it makes me first think about the hero's journey you know yeah this it's like this archetypal journey of a rite of passage and um you know there is a beginning and there is a middle there's a number of points through the middle and then there is an end as well of which Mm -hmm. the, the person who goes through the hero's journey is changed on the other side and um, you know, the work with sacred medicines can be, um, um, you know, described as a hero's journey, as a, a rite of passage. And, um, and by doing so, it can help us to locate ourselves, just like you were talking about with mm. Joshua Shree. You know, where are we on that map of the hero's journey? Um, are we, you know, at the beginning, are we in the deep forest? Are we finding those guides along the ways? And, and what will the treasure be on the other side that we can then take back to the, you know, community out into the world? And, mm. and how will that sort of shape our walk and shape who we are, um, you know, ever after? Um, and it's almost like what's the point of having these journeys? What's the point of mm. going on these processes if it doesn't change the way we live our daily lives? Yes. If, if the actions we take aren't substantially different, then, you know, you might as well just go see a movie or something. Like if, that, yeah. if you're just looking for an experience, and I think that's something we don't talk about very often. How do these psychedelic and therapeutic experiences, there's a lot of discourse around how these things can be therapeutic now. What's the point if nothing changes? Yes, absolutely. And look, often, you know, again, just to keep relating to the hero's journey, you know, what happens there to the hero who starts out as just a, you know, regular human being kind of in the village is is that they have a call. There is a call to adventure. There is a call for something else. There is a call to enter into the deep, dark forest, even though they don't know what lies there. Um, you know, there is a call. And for some people, the call is, you know, that need to change because they're experiencing, you know, a number of kind of health related or mental health related symptoms. Or, you know, there is a a general sort of feeling of unease or disconnection or, you know, whatever it might be, there is a call for change. There is a call for something else. Um, and, And that something else is, I think, what you're talking about, Steph, is that change. You know, who are we now and how is that feeling and who would we like to be? You know, there is often something that stirs within, you know, what else? 
And so I'd love to hear a bit more about the framework that you learned from your mentor. Like, obviously, I'm sure it's very in-depth, but if you could just give us a really quick uh, overview of what that looks like. Well, okay, so the framework is, look, it is a little bit different depending on which medicine I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Um, I can start with MDMA. The The framework with that is um, it, it really is assisted psychotherapy. Um, so, you know, we would start with preparation um, you know, a lot, a lot of the, you know, this is written in the literature, you know, it's really based on the empirical research that's been happening, um, particularly through MAPS. Um, and so, yeah, the importance of a preparation stage um, of the treatment, um, you know, that goes through intention. There is, you know, quite an extensive kind of assessment and screening um, that looks at, you know, like what we've just been talking about, the, the call, you know, what is calling this person? Um, so obviously that's a background of mental health and, um, you know, trauma and, um, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and then um, the actual process is um, a day of, um, you know, several hours of assisted psychotherapy. So the medicine is taken and, um, you know, they are in a very comfortable space, in a very reverent space, an intentional space. Um, and the, um, you know, the process unfolds in many, many different ways, as you can imagine. Do you have um, specific uh, processes that you take people through? Look, I don't because I really believe that the medicine works in mysterious and wonderful ways. And so it really is about allowing. There mm-hmm. is a real process of allowing um, you know, there is a little meditation that sometimes I use for people just in that there's like this, there's a moment where um, there's kind of like a bridge, you know, from the waking state into the altered state when, when the medicine starts to, um, to take, take, um, to take, you know, the person to where they need to go. Um, but it is a process of allowing. My role really is to help the person, help my client um, meet the medicine how do we meet it how do we deepen our connection to the medicine and really um, cultivate that trust to follow the medicine to where Mm -hmm. it wants the person to go um, which can be you know yeah many many places and I can imagine MDMA is a really powerful medicine like that because it does actually activate uh, really buried memories. So I'm yes. sure many people who have had an experience of taking ecstasy, probably not in the last 10 years, there's much MDMA there, but previous to that, that, you know, people find themselves telling their life story to someone they met on the dance floor. Yes. And there's a real accessibility of early informative memories and I think as well traumatic and buried memories. And there's a desire to talk. So I imagine that it's actually quite easy in some ways because that medicine is just like bringing out the therapeutic dialogue without much encouragement. Is that your experience? Absolutely. I mean, the way that it works with the brain on a neurological level is that it it, um, really connects with our our autobiographical memories, our implicit and explicit memory system. And at the same time, it softens the amygdala. It softens our nervous system response to any sense of threat. Um, Mm. And so what that means is that, you know, certain memories or experiences that lie in our past where normally we may not have been, um, you know, able to access because, you know, of this um, amygdala's incredible ability to protect us from um, threat or harm. And uh, so, you know, it then allows this sort of, um, you know, being able to, again, access these memories and experiences that have lied dormant for such a long time. Um, and the ability to reconnect with these experiences and find a new narrative for them. Mm. We're able to look at them and hold them in a way with our nervous system being very regulated and soothed by the medicine. So we can look at them and find a new story and in some way helps us to um, heal, heal our experiences. So... It's almost like without that amygdala being activated into the stress response, we get to have those experiences again without any fear or panic 
yeah. and able to then engage with it perhaps in a more in a more compassionate and soft way. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, interestingly, that also happens in dreaming. So one of the things about dreaming is that we tend, our memory center is deeply activated. And so we're reliving kind of versions of memories, right? We're like processing things we've experienced and the amygdala is really active, but this things happens in the brain where we can no longer produce stress hormones. So you have to have all these memories and all of these emotions, but no stress hormones. And so a nightmare is when that didn't function. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, those stress hormones are being released. It's almost like this protective environment where you can relive and deal with and engage and try and work out what happened without the stress hormones, without the fear, without the anxiety, without the, you know, those, those things that get in the way of us actually seeing what's there. It's so interesting. I mean, look, ultimately what we're talking about is altered states of consciousness where the sort of, you know, as um, um, Michael Pollan coined, you know, the, the default mode network, you know, he's really made that, uh, that that's, you know, quite a popular understanding of the way that the, the mind works or the ego works. And, you know, when we enter into an altered state of consciousness, whether it is through um, guided meditation, hypnosis, working with plant medicines, dreaming, trance, it is softening that default mode network so that we can access what lies underneath that, you know, the, the subconscious or the unconscious, um, you know, that where, where lies, you know, these sort of archetypal forces, where lies, you know, our, um, our stored memory and, you know, the things that, and our, and our shadow, you know, to kind of use sort of Jungian, Jungian terms, yeah. And by connecting with these aspects of self, it, you know, going back to that term integration, it helps us to come into wholeness within ourself. And um, to me, that's what healing is all about, is creating wholeness and a sense of balance and harmony within through this sort of, you know, holding all of us, all of ourselves. Yeah. Even the parts of ourselves we might be afraid of or not really understand or yes. might be from trauma or they might be inherited ancestral dysfunction, yes. bringing them into the light and making friends with them and understanding how they work. Yeah. Yeah, it's healing. That's a beautiful way to describe healing. That's mm. what people are looking for, you know. Yes, that's right. People often say, you know, you know, will this heal me? Will I be fixed? It's like, well, what does that mean for you? You know. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anything else you want to add about the process of the MDMA psychotherapy? So there's the, you really just, it sounds like you're very responsive and being guided by the client and by the medicine, what's emerging naturally for them. Absolutely. Look, it's very, you know, we'll say it's very client led. It's very, you know, we really just support the medicine and the client to deepen and to connect with each other. I mean, I, I will also say, you know, it's kind of like psychotherapeutic terms. It's very bottom-up processing. It's really working with the felt sense in the body and helping to contact prime, primary emotions. There's deep emotions of sadness, anger, fear. Um, and joy and bliss for some people that's new for them mm. so you know how is it to really contact these feelings which in these emotions which you know what we're talking about we're normally um, you know protective over mm. for ourselves perhaps it's not safe for us to contact our anger or our sadness or our joy or our bliss so how is it for us to be held and in a, in a way in a container where we can contact these parts of us and what happens there, you know, mm. and that is the great mystery then of, you know, what unfolds, the what happens. <laughs> and I imagine you have a um, fairly extensive integration process after those experiences. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it it's sort of, um, it, it really depends on the client. I mean, I, um, you know, it's, Definitely. I mean, I kind of offer these like packages where, you know, we have preparation, the immersive work and then an integration session. And I normally recommend more integration sessions after that. Um, and usually I end up working with people. For some people, I end up working quite long term. Um, for others, we might just have, you know, two or three integration sessions. 
um, and then it's enough. But some people already have other therapists as well that they work with. Um, but yeah, I feel like integration is really important. Mm. I feel like there's a really beautiful opportunity that I keep waiting to um, collaborate with someone like you on. It's like, what role do the little sister plants play? What can they play in the integration work? I've been was just teaching a class on mugwort where I had a group of students taking mugwort blind for a week without knowing what it was. And we came back and then in my digging deep into the history of mugwort, mugwort's actually used historically to release trauma especially Mm -hmm. sexual trauma that's lodged in the pelvis Mm -hmm. and it's really beautiful that I had this experience of I have a pelvic injury and I've been taking mugwort all week and I went to see um, a quite shamanic osteopath shall we say like he really Mm -hmm. goes on that deep level and was doing really intense work in my pelvis Um, and I you know, I think in the scheme of sexual trauma, mine's fairly low, but I still grew up as a female-bodied person in our culture and had many microtransgressions um, and some not so micro, just like every other woman I imagine. And I was having, uh, unexpectedly, after taking mugwort for a week, having all these flashbacks to all of these small instances of like being groped in a bar, etc., etc. I won't go through the laundry list and had this incredible anger come up. Mm. Uh, and I was just, it was really powerful to be like, oh, wow, this mugwort is helping me access this. It's, it, it's like exactly the textbook what it's been used for historically, releasing sexual trauma that is held in the pelvis. I hadn't even connected the fact that there might be that lodged in my pelvis because I had an actual injury, right? So you just think, oh, well, it's just that. Um, and then speaking to a few other people in the group who didn't know they were taking mugwort, having some similar experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think that I actually thought in that moment, oh, it's like it's so aligned with the MDMA psychotherapy because MDMA psychotherapy is so much about contacting and releasing lodged trauma mm-hmm. and being that requires bravery right because to stir up those things it's painful in a way the mdma creates this cushion because you aren't able to experience those deep states of triggered panic that mm-hmm. might otherwise be there the mugwort doesn't provide that cushion but yeah. i thought in that moment i bet this would be an amazing integration tool for mdma psychotherapy mm-hmm. low dose mugwort tincture i mean actually you know as you're sort of sharing this now i'm feeling like it's probably very helpful as a preparation therapy um, to sort of start to um, loosen, you know, kind of loosen and dislodge these sort of um, parts of us that, that that can get quite stuck. And then, you know, we can, you know, then when working with the MDMA, I can imagine that it would actually just, you know, very quickly be able to then contact you know, these parts mm-hmm. and work with it very easily. Because sometimes, like even with MDMA, you know, it can take one or two sessions before people can really go to the places that are necessary for that Interesting. to happen. Um, so the preparation of working with herbs, I feel like can be so helpful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually work with a naturopath um, at the moment who's been helping with Um, my clients coming off SSRIs um, using herbs and even for some people microdosing mushrooms, Mm -hmm. um, mushrooms um, to support the coming off of SSRIs so that we can commence the work with um, MDMA or, um, you know, psilocybin. Um, And that's been really, really helpful. And, you know, yeah. Because these things all go together, right? That's right. They all go together. Yeah, and there's so many from plants that when you can engage with them as these kind of powerful beings, you know, the mugwort is going to work for one kind of person and then you're going to have rows, like if someone's like deeply protected, they've got all their thorns up and they're protecting their vulnerability really strongly, which can be a barrier to deep therapeutic work, mm-hmm. then working with rows might be really powerful. Mm-hmm. And if there's like a disconnection from the heart and a kind of deadening of of joy, then lemon balm is going to be the one that helps them on this physiological and also very subtle level to start to soften into those places. I really love this. I really mm. love this idea. I mean, really, this is integrative medicine, isn't it? Yeah. You no, know, it's sort of, um, yeah, working. And I guess, you know, to, to look at it, that kind of support on the integration stage, it, it would be looking at the insights that were received from the medicine or through that work. Mm. Um 
and, uh, you know, recognise, because often, you know, people will recognise, oh, the importance, for example, of cultivating more joy in my life. Mm. What are the things that give me joy and, okay, and, and how that joy is a resource for them for, you know, um, being able to walk with some of the more, you know, edgier parts of, of their walk. Um, and, uh, and so this is where I could see that those herbs could really help on the other mm. side of that. It's so beautiful. So that's MDMA. Is there anything substantially different with the psilocybin psychotherapy that you support people with? Look, in the, the design is the same. Um, the setting is the same. Um, but obviously the medicine works so differently. Um, I like working with MDMA first with people. Um, it really sort of helps to clear out, um, you know, any sort of, you know, trauma that hasn't been processed or um, worked with. And then they are more ready, I would say, to start working with psilocybin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, psilocybin is definitely a much more inward experience, you know, as we've been talking about the MDMA is, you know, really encourages talking and sharing and being able to articulate what's going on inside. And whereas psilocybin is much more, it's harder to kind of get the words, you know, mm-hmm. there's um, the perceptual changes are much stronger um and um often it is with the, you know going deep, more deeply into the music and um allowing the person to really meet the medicine through their sometimes it's through silence you know other times there is sharing as well um but it's really about what the client needs to feel most comfortable to meet the medicine mm. and uh, follow it to where it wants them to go and the experience, obviously, is much more transpersonal, usually, you know, um, these sort of different aspects of self that they are meeting that are more, you know, um, yeah, usually more shamanic, mm. more transpersonal, more connected to the environment, um, this sort of more numinous mm. type of experiences. Yeah, these numinous gateways to... Oh, our dissolved entanglement with all of life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any stories that you think might um, illustrate the transformative potential of these experiences that your clients are having? I mean, so many, so many, you know. Um, I mean, sometimes, you know, the changes are subtle. Um, you know, normally... I feel like the changes become evident in the style of relating that people have. Um, You know, they share this sort of different experience of relating with family members, for example. You know, they'll often say, wow, the trigger is there, but I'm just not reacting. Mm -hmm. I don't feel the need to react. This capacity to be able to stand back in the sort of more observer space and um, the, make, a, make a choice, you know, these kind of choice points become much more um, um, tangible for them. Like a bit of extra space internally. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I mean, I have seen people who have completely transformed their lives um, and others who just have a new sense of connectedness with the sacred, with um, you know, this sort of space in between all that we can see that helps us give this, have a sense of connectedness, mm. which is no small thing in a world where we are often so isolated and where that isolation can be the, you know, the seed of so much sort mm-hmm. of, um, you know, maladaption and dysfunction. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so examples, I mean, you did, I did have a little think because you did ask me this question, um, you know, in, to prepare for this um, podcast and, um, and I was actually thinking about it in regard to relationship and sort of because um, we had talked about this earlier in another conversation about um, the importance of right relationship and how um, I feel quite strongly about the um, importance of having right relationship with these medicines and how that can really determine the way that they interact with us in our life. 
Um, and so the, the example that I did want to share um, was a, um, I mean, it actually wasn't necessarily through the use of MDMA and psilocybin, but a, a client that I was supporting, it was through their use of tobacco. And um, this person has had quite a, a strong um, journey with tobacco in that they've, they've had a really strong addiction and they've used vapes and they've used, um, you know, different ways to try to reduce their use and nothing had really worked. And um, they came to me and said, wow, I really, I really don't know what to do. Now, my background's in substance use. I actually worked in the substance use sector for about a decade. So I have quite a lot of tools up my sleeve um, that are more sort of conventional and mainstream. Um, with mm-hmm. regard to the reduction of, you know. Just to be clear, your background in substance use as in uh, counselling people with substance abuse issues. Yes, exactly, in the substance use sector, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could have been taken many ways. Yeah. Um, so, um, so but, what, but what we did end up sort of opening up was a conversation around uh, me and this client was a conversation around relationship and right relationship and recognising that tobacco is one of the most powerful master plants that are, um, that are used in traditional contexts around the world, but mostly in the sort of Central and South Americas and traditional contexts there. And so we talked about you know, the tobacco as a spirit, tobacco as a being, tobacco as a, um, as a being that this person has been in relationship to. And, um, and like any relationship that is not serving someone, there can be, you know, there's, um, there's ways to write that relationship. So we talked about uh, creating a dialogue with the tobacco for this client and we took it one step further and we talked about creating a ritual with this client to engage with the tobacco. And so they did in their own time, in their own private um, time, they created a space of reverence and ritual with fire and, um, and a dialogue opened up where the client, um, you know, spoke to the tobacco and offered it, you know, and this was sort of all planned beforehand, you know, we offered it, offered it acknowledgement, offered it gratitude for its presence, for its potency, for its medicine. And then also, um, you know, asked for its support in playing a different role mm-hmm. um, in this person's life. Um, and, you know, and I guess for me that kind of comes off of sort of internal family systems, the sort of parts work. We, we often re-roll these parts that are, um, you know, not serving us in a good way. So we don't try and get rid of them and say, oh, you're bad, go away. It's like, okay, how can you serve me in a different way? Um, and so this client did that with the, with the tobacco and um, gave it an offering as well. We offered it, offered, it, sorry, my client offered um, uh, I don't know what they offered, but it gave the gave the tobacco an offering and and um, you know asked for it to work more in service and more in alignment for the person's mm-hmm. balance. And it's safe to say that the person has not been smoking since. So I love the Powerful. story. Yeah, yeah, really cool story. Yeah, yeah. I think there's something that you're saying there that is feeling really alive for me, which is around when they were able to engage with the tobacco as a being, as a spirit, you know, and I think, I don't think it's that um, cut and dry that there are like these plant ghosts walking around in that way, but I think that it's really useful for us to feel into this more personalised aspect of plants and of medicines and of psychedelics you know it helps us to have a gateway into that sense of relationship because it's very hard for me to develop a relationship with a bunch of chemical molecules inside some inert plant matter right that's that's a that's a commodity we don't have relationships with commodity we like use them and exploit them and sometimes are exploited by them in these addictive relationships but it's I think to be in right relationship, which is something that I know both you and I are really passionate about. And it's something that many powerful speakers and writers, like if you read any of Robin Kimura Wall's work, you know, Braiding Sweetgrass, and she's talking about the Native American tradition, the Potawatomi tradition of being in right relationship with plants and the world around us. Mm. 
it's very hard to be in relationship with disembodied chemical molecules. And when we reduce mm. plants to only this, mm. then we lose our opportunity to feel that tangible connection and to collaborate with plants, you know. And so in, it's almost like we need to have that tool of experiencing them as spirits, relating to them in order to be able to dialogue, in order to feel that connectedness. Mm. Just like when you're working with internal systems, uh, family systems theories you were talking about, you know, you're not actually saying that there's like 15 different people inside your head. You're not saying people are schizophrenic, but it's a really useful framework to be mm. able to engage with these parts of ourselves and be in right relationship you know and so I think the same thing it can be easy for people who are more scientifically minded uh to to completely discard that idea of plant spirits Mm -hmm. and so I'm just I'm just encouraging here that there's even if it's not true in the quote unquote you know scientific way there is still a truth inside it's a metaphorical truth that helps us to mm. do better in our lives and i think mm. that so much of what we're talking about in sacred herbalism mm-hmm. is about how to be in relationship with plants a two way relationship you know and i i would really love you know with that client you had mm. i would have also said and ask tobacco like what has tobacco been trying to teach you mm. what does tobacco want from you right it's not just a one unidirectional thing you're like yes you've been in a relationship with tobacco maybe there's something tobacco's been trying to tell you and if you if you hear it and listen to it you can move on from the relationship that you've had so far right Absolutely. Yep. You know, I, I think a lot about um, the fact that we are, we're social beings. We are relational beings. We thrive when we are connected, when we are connected to our, um, the relationships that are important to us, where, you know, and, um, and I think about this in relation to the plants, you know, because often there is a, um, a description of feeling a sense of connection to the plant. You know, I, you know, clients will say, the MDMA is showing me this. The mm-hmm. mushrooms are taking me there. The mushrooms are, you know, guiding me here or the mushrooms do this or that. Um, and, um, and particularly, you know, I mean, with ayahuasca, you know, there's, it, it does go, I feel a little bit further, you know, where people describe it as a she, as a mother, as a being, and they will, you know, I mean, Rachel Harris has this, um, she did a PhD and, and a book called Listening to Ayahuasca. And a lot of that book is about the, um, uh, you know, anecdotal sort of um, experiences of many, many people who have worked with ayahuasca and their relationship to this, this being, this, 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 you know, I mean, it's a, it's a medicine that is made up of multiple plants um, that that then sort of, you know, create this very, very particular experience of interaction with Mm. an intelligence that is, um, you know, incredibly nuanced and and particular. Um, And, you know, and she'll even go on to say that it has a personality personality that is collaborating with us what you're talking about there with the mdma and the mushrooms even mdma that is a synthetically produced chemical right it's not a plant it it actually is from a plant it's from the sassafras tree it's taken from i mean it's synthetically produced a lot of the time but you can get um Mm -hmm. you can get um you know the um the derivative that is from the tree itself i mean the tree is endangered um, Actually, uh, saffron is the highest, uh, is the best place to get it, but it's saffron already costs more than gold in uh, <laughs> weight for weight. So yeah. I'm not sure that's a very economical way to make MDMA. Yeah, but so there, there is, there is an interesting, uh, there's still a connection to a plant there, but I yeah. still think, I think that there is a spirit there regardless. People are having an experience of mm. collaboration and partnership yes. and of meeting a being in the MDMA journey, even if it is synthetically produced. And that's very interesting to me. Absolutely. And I think that the importance of relationship with these medicines should Mm. be highlighted. You know, there is so much um, research going on at the moment around, you know, attachment theory and the importance of secure attachments in our, um, you know, it's sort of 
through our development and um, and even you know through our adult years as well. And what secure attachments give us as social beings. They help us to regulate, they help us to attune, they help us feel safe and secure. And so when I think about, you know, for example, Rachel Harris's work around the relationship that people develop with ayahuasca, I think about that and then I think about secure attachment with this medicine that people have, this sense of safety to meet with this very potent, very powerful being and to have you know, the sense of I am, I'm okay here because, you know, this, this mm. being has got me. I feel this secure sense of attachment. I feel an attunement even when things get really gnarly. Wow. <laughs> so wait, wait, you're talking about that this concept of attachment theory, which has become so big these days in, you know, explaining how we relate yes. and our dysfunctional relationship patterns, you know, anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. So you're exploring this idea that we can also develop secure attachments to sacred plant medicines, to psychedelic plant medicines, and that that can almost be some of what he creates the healing for people because they're able to create a secure attachment in the case of ayahuasca with almost like the mother that perhaps they haven't had in their life with their own human mother and that does some of the work that that relationship should have done in creating a ground for them to have healthy relationships with humans in their lives wow Mm -hmm. I love that that's wild I've never thought of that before or come across that um no I've been I've been contemplating this for some time And, um, you know, I mean, MDMA is definitely known. I think there's been more research into that particular medicine and the way that it does foster healing with with our attachment systems. But I think mostly the angle has been on the attachment that occurs, the secure attachment that occurs between the client and the therapist, which, which is, you know, heavily researched already. Um, in terms of just, you know, general, um, you know, psychotherapeutic re- research. But I have been personally contemplating the secure attachments that we have with, with plants. Amazing. Thank you so much you for know, that. I think that's such a yeah. profound insight and such a useful framing. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm lucky that I have, you know, I have fairly, I have a secure attachment to my own mother and still I have, mm-hmm. now that you're saying that, you know, I've worked with ayahuasca you know, for quite a long time. And there is a sense of of a mentor or some kind of teacher, like an older woman yeah. teacher that go, when I return to that space, that sense of like coming home to this safe and potent space where I'm supported to be in deeper connection to myself and to the sacred. Yeah. And I really, when you, yes. yeah, now that I have that new framing that you've just offered, I can really, I really agree with you. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the ability that she has to, you know, and I I call her a she, you know, for me, I guess I'm kind of an animist at heart. Um, And I, and I am because of the journey that I have had in my life with the plants, you know, that is one of the gifts Mm -hmm. that they have given to me, the richness of, um, you know, my lens of the world as, as being animist and um and alive and um and you know so so she does take me take us to these places where you know she teaches us guides us um you know gives us a smack every now and again if you know if we're kind of out of alignment in some ways you know she can be fierce as a as a as a dragon and and soft as a feather and um in some way it's quite in alignment with the mother archetype. Yeah, a mother who knows how um, to be very loving yeah. and have firm boundaries. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I also I want to sort of just, you know, embellish a little bit more on this sense, on the idea of um, plants as, um, you know, attachment, secure attachment, um, you know, points, um, is to sort of highlight, you know, the obvious about what happens to us when we immerse ourselves in nature. You know, and I think there is a lot of research that, that, it, that is sort of highlighting this is the regulation that happens in our nervous systems when we mm. t- spend time in nature, the attunement that happens, you know, to ourselves, from between ourselves and, um, you know, and the plants and the, the, you know, the natural world just by sitting in nature for some time. And so, you know, I do believe that when we ingest plants, 
the same thing yeah. happens in a very yeah, I've been way. working for a long time with this idea that um, when we can experience ourselves as a thread in the web of the natural world, right? So, so often through guided meditation is how I do it. It's like a kind of, it's a deep ecology practice, really, when we can experience ourselves as having an ecological identity. So being intimately entangled with the natural world, you know, from the very fact that mm. our breath is a shared breath with the plants, our in-breath is what the plants breathe out and our out-breath is what the plants breathe in. My very body is mm. built of the bodies of plants, right? Like, I cannot be without the plant's being and how interdependent that is. When we can sit with that and really experience it in an embodied way, then mm. we can really feel like we belong. And the healing mm. that offers us, it's like, oh, I'm a part of this story. I'm not that, you know, I think mm. we have this hubris in our global culture these days to see ourselves as humans as somehow the only things that matter and the ones that are really in charge. And the shadow side of that is that it's very lonely, you know, and that we're meant mm -hmm. to be in relationship or with all our relations, with all our relations, the mm -hmm. earthworms and the, you know, gum leaves and the crows that fly past and the cockroaches. doesn't mean we just need to like let cockroaches overrun our house, right? That's not a very right. That's not a very <laughs> healthy relationship. That's like poor boundaries, but that we're meant to be in relationship yeah. with them and experience them as our kin. And so much of the mental health crisis of the world that is happening, this incredible crisis mm -hmm of sanity i think is linked to this sense of detachment and abandonment right that we've participated yes. in because the more that we see ourselves as better superior separate and the only ones that matter the more that we make ourselves alone we're not meant to be alone in that way and i think that when you start working with plants if you're a herbalist or you engage with plants and you start working with them as beings and you start working with them you know and you can be a herbalist or a naturopath or a plant worker and engage with plants as commodities and that is so intensely how we are trained to the great mm. tragedy of training mm. as a herbalist in this country is that there's no there's very the plants are very absent <laughs> Right? The medicines are there in their bottles and their jars and their tins and their capsules, but the plants themselves are really absent. And so a lot of people are in that journey of coming back into the relationship with the plants. When you work with them in that way or you work with sacred plant medicine or you're the kind of person who goes and sits in the bush for three days, you experience this sense of being part of a, like Gaia, right, of this living world, this living being and that is such a balm yeah. for us in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess what, what I'm sitting with is the sort of power of connectedness and, um, and how often that is, I would say, one of the um, gifts that people are given when working with these sort of plant medicines is this visceral, embodied, somatic experience of feeling connected feeling connected. I mean, particularly with medicines like mushrooms and ayahuasca, this feeling of connection to something other than just themselves, to, you know, the natural world or to, you know, all that lies, um, you know, in the, in sort of in the invisible, you know. And what a relief. All that spirit. Fine. But then what that does is, is naturally evoke a sense of care, and caretaking and wanting to care for that which they have experienced as animate, as having sentience, as having, you know, um, intelligence. There is, you know, this new, again, we go back to relationship, this new bond that is formed because they have experienced mm. the other. Yeah, and I think what you're pointing to there that I find very exciting and so important mm. is that inside that healing of the mental health crisis inside or on the other side of that coin is the healing of the ecological crisis you know and it's, yes. and it's in that false disconnection that we've created not only have we destroyed the planet or you know that's a strong term not only are we acting in very irresponsible ways we are also destroying our own sense of joy and belonging and connectedness you know, and what a tragedy. Yes. And so I think that 
when people talk about those plant medicines and how popular psilocybin therapy is becoming in in the scientific and research and psychiatric world, I feel really sad that there's still this kind of depersonalization and anthropocentrism, this human centeredness where all of these medicines, they have evolved throughout human history throughout human prehistory as ways for humans to remember our place, ways for humans to remember how to be in relationship, how to be caretakers, and through that caretaking to find our own sense of joy and centeredness, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch it all roll out and to see, I mean, I have... I am also curious about the way that it does, you know, about the work with these psychedelic medicines, how they roll out into the more sort of clinical settings, um, working with psychiatrists and in the mental health setting. And and I'm really all for it. I'm really excited about the movement. And I'm also really um, aiming to be an advocate for maintaining a sense of reverence and sacredness with the work which I believe does sort of reflect or, um, um, you know, embody the, um, the message of, um, you know, we are working with something that is, um, that requires reverence, that requires respect, um, that requires our, our ongoing connection to the fact that these are powerful beings. Yeah. It's not just a um an isolated reductionist molecule that we are popping into our bodies and it's not just Mm -hmm. something that's going to heal your mental health trauma um independently of healing Mm. your relationship to to the earth i'm curious what do you think having work with these substances do you think that even in a context that's highly clinical, that's highly disconnected from the sense of the sacred and relate right relationship and relationship to life, do you think that that healing still happens or do you think that there's something that's missing there? Look, I mean, in some ways it's hard to say because I really work the way that I work, you know, which, um, which does... Um, Obviously, you know, um, you know, I, I do. I hold a ritual, a very small sort of ritual and prayer before I do the work, and um, you know, I tr- do aim to cultivate a sense of sacredness and reverence um, with my sessions. So it's hard for me to comment because um, I'm not quite sure, but I do feel that the wisdom and power of the medicines. Um, you know, they are what they are, regardless of the context, actually. And, um, yeah, I, I actually believe that they will still mm. offer their medicine in the way that they need to for the person that is working with them. But at the same time, mm. set and setting are so powerful in the way that they kind of interact and manifest um, with the person. So, Look, yeah. I'm very biased, right, but you I... Know. I mean, it it answers it as much as you can, I think. Yeah, Yeah. Um, I'm very biased, but I I do feel like if there's not the invitation for people inside those experiences or in the integration journey to reimagine and re-experience their relationship beyond just their relationship with themselves and their mother and their, you know, (laughs) ex-husband, but their relationship Mm -hmm. to the sunshine and their relationship to the sacred and their relationship to the trees and to the pot plant in their lounge room, I think that then I wonder whether those changes stick as well, right? So um, Dr. Rosalind Watts over in the UK, I'm a big fangirl of hers, she has been working with psilocybin in the trials. She's a psychologist and um, and what she found is that... um, Working with psilocybin really naturally um, evoked a, a, a um, evoked this sense of connection within clients and this connection to the natural world, and that on the integration in the integration phase of her work, she found that um, you know it didn't actually last for as long as what she would have hoped. Um, but what did help was using tools of integration such as going into nature, planting trees, 
Um, and um, and so that's something that she has, she's actually developed a program, like a 12-month integration program um, for people who've been working with psilocybin that involves, um, I mean, I have to look into it a bit more, but every month they mm. look at a different tree and they work with the kind of medicinal qualities of, of what the tree represents and use that as a sort of integration prompt for people to continue to weave in you know the insights of their journey into their life which I I think is so beautiful um so I guess you know she I guess that would to me describe this um that you know regardless of the setting because I imagine that would have been a very clinical setting you know where they're doing the trials people were still describing a connection with Mm. the natural world and um, and the desire to continue to connect to the natural world. But at the same time, you know, what she found was that it needed to be cultivated yeah. on the other side. Yeah, powerful. Yeah, I think mm. I, I've been thinking for a while that yeah. working with different herbal medicines in that same way, working with the prompts of what they support physiologically and psycho-emotionally and then also with deep ecology practices of like kind of meditative um eco ecological connection practices i think it just would be so powerful so simple and so powerful i mean yes yeah it makes is anything else that you would like to share or um perhaps do you have some closing words of advice for anyone who is wanting to engage in psychedelic psychotherapy um interesting um any words of advice I mean what I would say is start doing the work now with your regular psychotherapy or you know working with you know other modalities of of insight inquiry such as you know working with herbs cultivating a you know sense of deep listening to your inner world and to the outer world as well um you know start to yeah start to do the work first I mean I think it is going to on one hand I think it's going to be quite quick that it all sort of rolls out in the you know the clinical um, field and at the same time I think it will be a little while for people who aren't diagnosed as having treatment resistant depression or see you know post-traumatic stress disorder um, you know, for people other than that to be able to access the medicine. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I would say start doing the work within. You know, it is a tool. I guess that's what I'm saying, you know. It is a tool. It is another modality. But there are many, many modalities and actually it's not for everyone. Um, it's not a panacea. It's not a quick fix. It is a tool that works for some people just as, um, you know, certain medicines are mm-hmm. for some and not for others depending on symptoms and um, needs. So, yeah, and I think it's important to kind of name that because I do feel like there is a sort of, you know, uh, an idea out there that they will be a panacea, you know, there'll be a quick fix, the silver bullet, I'll go and have this, you know, deep, go and do this deep work and everything will be fixed. Well, sometimes they actually can make things more difficult because they seem to sort of stir the pot and you get to see all the mud and the silt that was settled at the bottom, you know, um, and then it sort of stirs everything up as an opportunity to have a look and see what's been lying down in the depths. Um, but it's not always a comfortable place that it leaves people in on the other side. And hence side. the importance of um, a solid support team and good integration. Yeah, having a good psychotherapist and a good herbalist to support you through that. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you so much. Um, Thanks for your courage and in doing this work. You know, it's really courageous to be doing this work in this time Mm. and I just love the way that you hold it and I – it's such a relief for me to hear someone holding it in this way because it's, you know, addresses all of my concerns about the popularity of this medicine um, and these medicines and these practices – and I just, yeah, I'm so excited that you're doing it. I think all your clients are so blessed. And thank you for sharing these things with us. It's really been been an honour. 
Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's been it's been a delight. <laughs> and so, usually we yeah. share share no, show notes of how people can get in touch with our uh, speakers. We won't do that this week. So you're probably all just you know desperate to work with this amazing therapist, and uh, that's not going to be an option because that will compromise some really important things. <laughs> uh, maybe in future, that's when nice. if the legal system changes, we might uh, do an do, do a new episode if this becomes <laughs> legally viable. Um, yeah, so, but I encourage everyone who's listening, if this is work you're interested in and you do find a way to access it, to make sure, you know, take the invitation of reverence, gratitude and and sacredness in the way that you're working with these plants because there's so much medicine in there. Yeah. I will I will say that there is a website, um, psychedelictherapyaustralia.com.au, which you can put in your notes, which is um, there are therapists listed on there. I am not on there, by the way, um, but there are therapists on there who do offer integration support and I think some also that are offering this work, um, you know, still obviously still in an underground capacity, but um, that might be somewhere to explore. Um, and also... Um, yeah, I guess AMAP is um, what's it? What does it stand for? The Australian multiple something for assisted psychotherapy. They're the body in Australia that is um, in control of the regulations and policies, and you know the way that it's all going to roll out. So if you are interested in that as well, I would just keep keep your finger on the pulse of you know what's happening with them. That's us for this moon cycle. I'm so glad you walked into the dark forest with me. This podcast is part of The Elder Tree, a non-profit dedicated to empowering people through grassroots herbal education, weaving a strong community of herbalists, healers and plant folk in Australia. You can head over to theeldertree.org to find out more. If you like this episode, we'd love you to subscribe. And if you know who we should interview next, drop us a line. See you next month. And in the meantime, may you be blessed with good health and many plants. <laughs> <laughs>